Luke 11, 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said, When you pray, say, Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Then Jesus said, Imagine what would happen if you went to a friend in the middle of the night and said, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. An old friend traveling through just showed up, and I don't have one thing on hand. The friend answers from his bed, Don't bother me. The door's locked. My children are all down for the night. I can't get up to give you anything. But tell me, let me tell you, even if he won't get up because he's a friend, yet because of his avoidance of shame, he'll finally get up and get you whatever you need. Here's what I'm saying. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. What father among you, if one of his little ones asked for bread, would hand over a stone? If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a scorpion? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the father who conceived you in love will give the Holy Spirit when you ask him? Thank you. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 11. Um, that's where we're going to be today. You know we're kind of walking in through this series right now, and Jesus is taking us on a journey um, through Samaria, through a land that is, um, I mean, honestly, a lot like our land, right? It's, it's, it's biblically familiar, but somewhat aloof of, of the God of Scripture. Like, there's an, an, a perception of Yahweh and who He is. There's a, a decent kind of understanding um, of, of what He's about. Uh, but there's kind of at least a rejection of the religious system of 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 Judea, of Jerusalem, of the Israelites, right? And there's a whole history to that, right? But this is kind of the land which, which Jesus is taking his disciples through as he journeys to the cross. This is, this is kind of his last trek is the way uh, Luke sets us up on this journey. Um, and so we're kind of walking through this and seeing how Jesus acts in this, this space, um, what Jesus says in this space, how Jesus speaks to people and to God and of people and of God in this space. Because it's really the space that we're, uh, we, we live in the space that we get to speak of Jesus to others, right? And so, like, if, if, you, if you were here last week, you know, we went through this kind of familiar, familiar um, uh, parable uh, Chaz did of the Good Samaritan just before this, um, this story of Jesus and his, and, and his prayer. Um, and, and Chaz helped us kind of see, hey, like, while we tend to look at this kind of more moralistically and the, the morals that are espoused in it, like what Jesus is kind of doing with the disciples in relationship to the lawyer is he's exposing uh, kind of our own prejudice and hearts, the scripts that we write, the way that we see the world and see other people and our tendency to generalize them, to put people into groups, into ideas, into, into um, all kinds of things, to see them for everything except for what they really are, people. God's people, people created in God's image, people in need, people whose need trumps even what we think to an extent is required of us by God, right? Where the Levite and the, and the, um, uh, uh, and the religious leader pass by, right? 
And the Samaritan, the one who is the, the, the outsider, the one who would have been the surprise of the story, actually enters in and becomes the neighbor, right? And so in some ways, the story is told to help us personalize people, that our way of, of living life to its fullest is to, is to get in on how God loves people, how he sees people. And that we'll actually know God, we'll actually be able to love God by the way that we love people. Like it's, it's kind of, it seems counterintuitive and kind of against our religious kind of norms, but this is, this is what Jesus is doing for us, right? And so he's inviting the disciples, inviting the lawyer into this way of life in which we no longer depersonalize, but we actually see people for who they are, see them for who they are, and receive from them the blessing that they are, right? Again, the, the, the Samaritan would have been the unlikely hero. But if you, if you know anything about the way the Gospels are structured, we know Luke kind of structures his stories differently. Um, he doesn't always use a chronological order to, to put all of his stories together if you were trying to piece all of it um, together, like in all the different Gospels. But he's doing that for a reason. So like every story that we're going to connect into throughout this little journey always plays off the story before it, plays into the story that comes after it. Because he's trying to weave for us this like image this picture of what life with Jesus looks like, who God is in Jesus, how Jesus speaks, how we speak of Jesus, all those things together so we can have this kind of vivid image that allows us to live in Samaria, to live well in Samaria, to live like Jesus in Samaria. And so if, if, you, if you're tracking with the, with the flow of, of Luke, right after this story of the Samaritan, there's this familiar story of Martha and Mary in which Martha is going and Jesus is at her house and he is, um, um, he's teaching, and Martha is a little, a little flustered because, hey, listen, she's doing what the Samaritan did. She's serving. She, there's a need. All of the disciples are there. All the followers are there. She's making sure that they have a place. She's welcoming. She's being hospitable. She's doing the things, again, that, that you would expect her to do based on the story before, and yet, and yet her sister's not. Her sister's just sitting there listening to Jesus at the feet of Jesus. And she's frustrated. And she's frustrated with Jesus for letting her do that. And so she, like, which is really kind of cool, she actually goes to Jesus and, and says to Jesus, hey, listen, my sister's not helping. Will you make her help? Like, which is a big, it's kind of a big no-no, right? Like to do that to a rabbi in the midst of his teaching, but also shows they probably have a little bit of a relationship or at least Jesus is open to even some of the, uh, the kind of confrontation um, of, of, of his, his followers a little bit um, in a way that he's not overly offended by it, right? So the, he let the lawyer ask him a question that was really offensive and he responded with an a story that helps invite him into seeing life in the fuller. Mary kind of confronts him in the midst of his, this time in order to, to get her sister to do what she thinks her sister's supposed to do. And Jesus very generously responds to her, hey, Martha, like there's lots of things to be anxious about, but there's one thing that's important. And your sister's chose the better portion. She's chosen not to be one who simply serves, but to be one who sits at the feet and receives. Now, like we, we can, we can, if we just take that story by itself, there's all kinds, of, all kinds of different implications. But again, Luke is telling these stories for a reason together. So we have this, this idea that the way that we're supposed to see people for who they are, we're supposed to enter into people's lives without all the stories and scripts that keep us generalizing people and seeing them only as general things rather than who they are from being able to give and receive. And then he tells the story of, of what seems like Martha trying to do that, right? But, but missing something. 
that she's trying not to be the Levite and the, and the religious leader in the other stores. She's trying to jump across the road and to, to meet the needs, but she's missing something. But Mary seems to get it. Her, she, he, she chooses a better portion. She chooses a better meal, a better thing of sustenance. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, like, it's, like if you really want to live this eternal life, life in its fullest, by loving God and loving neighbor, by actually letting that play out into your life, it's got to come from a different source than simply a desire to serve. There, a desire to serve is great. It's good. Martha, I'm glad you came across the, the road to help. But that is not the source of what, it actually, what you need to actually be one who loves your neighbor. That's not what you need. There's something else. There's a better portion, and Mary's chosen it. Mary's chosen the better portion. And so right after this, the disciples, then we get this story of Jesus and his prayer. So I just want you to keep that in mind as we go through today, that, that Luke is trying to help us see that the way that we are able to actually love our neighbors the way that we're actually to be ones who serve our neighbors, the way that we actually live out the kingdom, the source of that is not simply a desire to serve, but it's actually communion with God, right? Just as the disciples who came back, the 72 came back and they were like, hey, power and authority, listen, we got it. We stepped on scorpions and snakes. He's like, no, 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 that's normal. That's okay, but that's not the source. The source is that you're known. That God knows you. The source of your power, the source of your authority, the source of your joy, rejoice in the, in the fact that you're known by God, loved by God, written in God's book. Again, he's trying to train us to live kind of differently than religion teaches us, right? To some extent. He's trying to get us out of God in kind of religious box, in a ritual box, in a behavioral box, in interrelational life. And so in that context, Luke 11, verse one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, so Jesus is praying. He's just talked about how, the, how Mary chose a better portion. He goes and he prays. And then one of his disciples, somebody who's following him, says, Lord, teach us to pray. This is the only time in the, in the Gospels that the disciples explicitly ask Jesus to teach them anything. Jesus teaches them all the time, right? He's teaching all the time. But there's something, something's happened in their life with Jesus. That they're beginning to recognize that, that maybe there's something that is different about what Jesus is after and the source of what Jesus, how Jesus lives. And so instead of teach me to, um, to live well, teach me to overcome the enemy, teach me to, to make sure the kingdom comes in fullness, they recognize the source of Jesus' own ability to do all those things is his communion with God. So the disciples, the one time they'd ask for teaching, ask, teach me to pray, teach me to commune. Teach me to listen and to speak to God. That's the one thing they ask for. It's pretty incredible, right? Again, we would expect if there's one thing that Jesus could teach us, we'd want him to teach us how to not mess things up, <laughs> right? 
Teach us how to make sure we get through to the end. Make sure that we overcome. Make sure that whatever, like that we did, that we get everything that we're after, including his glory, right? Well, Jesus, at least the disciples recognized that Jesus, Jesus' way of living, way of speaking, way of teaching was the heart of that was his communion with the Father. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray. But not just teach us to pray, teach us as John taught his disciples. And it's kind of a little bit of an important part right there. Because here's what the disciples are doing. If you remember in Luke's gospel earlier in Luke chapter 7, um, the, uh, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. He's talking to, to the people, to the insiders and outsiders, the tax collectors, as well as the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's describing what Jesus has come to do, what he's come to do, what John's come to do. And in the midst of this description, it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 29, when all the people heard Jesus and how he is talking about God and his kingdom, and all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, those kind of on the edge, more like the Samaritans, the tax collectors too, they declared God just. When they heard Jesus talk, they recognized there was something right in how Jesus talked to God and about God and about God's kingdom. They recognized there's something right about it, just, whole, true. Why? Because they had been baptized with the baptism of John. Because John had prepared a way. They had seen the connection of the story of God and creation all the way to Jesus and that he indeed was the one who had come to restore the way with God, the way to God. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, like the lawyer we just met in the story before in this Good Samaritan, the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. And so the disciples say, hey, listen, we want to be identified with the ones who identified with you, not the ones who have rejected their purpose for you. It's a humbling statement. It's not just, hey, teach us because we want to know because this is what disciples do like John. This is like no, saying, hey, listen, we, we recognize that the way you know God and how you know God and who the God who you know is just. So we want to know from you. We don't want to reject the purposes from you. We want the, the life that you're after, the life that you have. We want that purpose in our own life. That's, that's important. Again, it's a, it's a place of humility they're asking from. It's unlike the lawyer who asks from a place of wanting to trap Jesus. It's unlike Martha who's asking from a place of like frustration with it not, not working out <laughs> like she thought it was supposed to work out, not getting from what she was doing, what she thought she would get from it right? So like we have all these people who are asking Jesus questions and, and asking Jesus for things and confronting Jesus. And again, like we're, there's a bigger picture being painted. And so the disciples come not from a place of arrogance and not from a place of, of frustration, but simply from a place of we recognize in you something different. We recognize God's justness in you and we want that. We want to be a part of that. We don't want to miss out on that. We don't want to reject that. And so Jesus then says, here's how you pray. Now, but before we get into the prayer, like Jesus is a really good teacher, right? And as a really good teacher, he knows that whatever he's about to say will, because the people really want it, will end up taking what he says and making it into something that it's not. That they'll easily just take whatever words he says and will make it into a religious routine an incantation, something to be used, right? Because that's what we do as humans, right? When we think we've got the answer, 
to the test. We don't care about anything else. We just got to memorize the answer, right? That's what, that's what it is. He knows that tendency. So he's a good teacher. And he's a teacher that wants more than us just to know what to do. But again, to relate to, to know the one to whom we belong. And so he doesn't just tell them what to pray. He does that. We're going to go into that. Very simply, he tells them in very ordinary words, personal, earthy words, to recognize the nature of God. But then he does this too. If you look at uh, um, Luke chapter 1, uh, 1 through 13, or Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13, it's kind of broken down into three parts. They all kind of run together in our, in our um, translations, but it's really a prayer, verses 1 through 4, a prayer that we probably all know. But then there's this little parable, 5 through 8, this parable of a neighbor and um, a neighbor annoying a neighbor and all that kind of stuff. And then there's a poem. Now, like, it may not feel like a poem to us, but like in the original language, the way it was put together, there's a lot of rhyme and repetition, like a lot of wordplay, and so it's actually a poem. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just kind of walk through each of these components real quick, and then we're going to do what Jesus invites us to do. We're going to pray, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through it. So the prayer. Now, we've probably asked, like, if you've been in the faith at all for very long, you've probably asked, how do, how do I pray? Um, how many of you have bought a book on prayer? How many of you have multiple books on prayer? How many of you have a lot of prayer books? Like, right? Like, we like to learn to pray, right? Like, listen, you know how to pray. You don't need a book to teach you how to pray. You've, been, you've, you've kind of been taught how to pray over time, but you've been taught how to pray because you prayed with people, right? Like, in all honesty, you've learned how to pray, not through books, but through praying with people. That doesn't mean that the books on prayer are bad. Like, there are lots of good scripted prayers that are helpful for us, right, throughout tradition and history and all those kind of things. But listen, when the disciples ask, teach us to pray, they're not asking because they don't know how to pray. They actually learned how to speak through prayer. The words that they would have learned to speak they would have learned to read. We use the AB alphabet to read, right? Like, remember when you were young and you learned your ABCs? They would not have learned the ABCs to learn how to speak and to communicate. They would have learned the Shema. The prayer of, of, that every Jewish person prayed every morning and every night. This is what would have been how they learned to actually talk and use words. This is what they would have learned to actually use to read. They would have literally learned the language of prayer from their very beginning. All right? And here's the Shema, real quickly, an abbreviated version of it. Listen. That's where the word Shema. Shema just means listen. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Sound familiar? Just a story before. If you will indeed obey, he will give the rain for you for your land in its season, grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care of me with three square meals. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods. Keep us from temptation. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord has given you. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. That's a very abbreviated version of the Shema. They would have actually included a bunch more text in that, and they would have said this every morning and every single night, and usually had some sort of blessing on both before and after it. This is the tradition of the way that every disciple that's coming to Jesus at this point would have grown up in. They would have known how to pray. 
And so, so when they hear Jesus go from this long list of things, which includes almost everything that he gives them, but to move it into ordinary, there's something happening, right? Like it's, it's, there's something that Jesus is trying to do to take them from this very ritual, historical way of praying into some very ordinary ways of praying, right? He's not dismissing the history. He's not dismissing the tradition, but he's helping them bring it into life to bring it to something other than the tradition, something more than the tradition. And so this is what he says. Father, that's not a surprise to us right now in 2022. Absolutely a surprise to every single Jew that would have heard it. You don't begin, remember, what does the Shema say? Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Yahweh. Yahweh, our God, the Lord, King. Father? Immediately, Jesus is, is, is taking them into the personal, right? We get that. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on that. He takes them immediately into the person. And he says, hallowed be your name. Reveal who you are. Show yourself as the one. Reveal who you are. Father, show us who you really are. The one, the only one. The one above all gods. There is no other like you, right? Very easy, very true. Like, Lord, show us that you are it that you are the one that we look to, no, need to look to nowhere else. Show yourself. We're not gonna sing that song. Your kingdom come. Set the world right in relation to you in your ways. Your kingdom come, real simple. Just set the world right. The way you have the world right, because remember, you've shown yourself. You've shown yourself who? To be good and gracious, powerful and loving, so set the world right in line with you. Set the world right. When we pray, we pray to the Father relationally. To see the Father, to recognize who the Father is, and that the whole world might find their true life in step with the Father, including us. That everything relates to the Father and finds their true and whole relation to the Father. That's how we pray. That's, that's it. That's real simple. But listen, it's not just praying about the Father, because again, the Father's super relational. Who's the Father that we know? He says, then, not just your kingdom come, but give us each day our daily bread. In the message translation that Deidre read for us, keep us alive with three square meals. In the Shema, bless our land, pour out the rain, make sure, make sure the grass grows, feed our cattle, so that we might eat and be full. Here's the deal with bread. Bread is not a meal. It's never considered a mill in the Middle East. It's never, it's never been a mill. Bread is a tool. It is a knife, a fork, a spoon, which the mill is consumed. You use to consume the mill. That's what bread is. Bread is not the thing itself. Bread is the, the source, the thing that's, that allows us to, to eat the fullness of the sustenance that's before us. So in other words, give us all we need to scoop up your abundance and provision. <laughs> That's what he's praying for. Give us all we need to scoop up your abundance and provision. Give us the very basic. The thing that we need to be able to, be able to enjoy, put into ourselves, live out of the, the, the nutrients and energy of all that you provide, of all that you've given. 
Pretty cool, huh? Like praying this, like, like, hey, give us what we need. Don't just give us barely scraps, because sometimes when we read bread, it's like, just give us barely scraps. That's not what he's saying. He said, giving us the very basic thing that we can use to take advantage, to consume all that you give us. All that you give us as a father, as a, as a mother, as an employee, as an employer, all that you give us in friendships and in responsibilities. Give us what we need to be able to be sustained by all that you've given us. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. It's kind of a funny trick, trick on the prayer here, uh, even on the Shema, because again, the Shema is like, hey, like, like we, we, we want to stay in line with you. We don't want to get out of line with you because we don't want to, to lose the good that you've given us. So there's a piece in the Shema that's kind of like this, like be merciful to us and kind to us. But, but Jesus says, what's really, what really you're after is forgive others. Help me to forgive others because I'm forgiven. But he twisted a little bit to make us be like, to basically make us to, to ask this. And I'm, it'd be funny, I'd be curious to know how many of us actually ask this. Basically to pray this, forgive us our sins in the same way that we forgive those who owe us. Treat us as we treat others, God. What would be different if we prayed that prayer? Treat us as we treat others. What if instead of praying the golden rule for ourselves, Lord, let others treat me as they want to be treated. It was, Lord, you treat me like I'm going to treat them. I know you're forgiving. And I, I want that. I need that. But the Lord's teaching us to pray, to pray to the Father who does forgive us, who is patient with us and kind with us. To let us know his kindness and patience as we get to demonstrate in, uh, his patience and kindness to others. As we get to be the Samaritans, the good Samaritans, right? He's teaching us to talk to God that way. Not, Lord, help me forgive others. Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. As I don't hold things against others. This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. And if we don't like that, okay, um, Great, we can keep praying another way. Lord, make, it, make, make, everybody, make everybody treat me the way I want to be treated. But we'll miss, again, what Jesus is teaching us. Life in the fullness doesn't come through that. We'll keep being Martha over and over again. Make sure Mary's doing things with me in the way I want to do it, and we'll miss the good portion. Because the good portion comes through us actually living out the thing that we want, Right? Like, this is the way Jesus is teaching us to talk to God. Not to wait around for some sort of miraculous way to be able to forgive others, but to actually be ones who, like this Samaritan, see the need and meet it. And then he prays, and lead us not into temptation. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil, as the message says. Don't bring us to a time of trial. Let us hear your counsel. As we went through the Psalms, remember in Lent? Show us your way. Let us stay near to you as you shepherd us, in other words. So the prayer that begin in this relational context of Father ends with this desire for safety and shepherding. To be one who continues to walk with the good shepherd whose rod and staff comforts us, protects us, guards us from our own twisted way of seeing him in the world and others 
and from the one who's after us, right? Real simple, real easy words. Father, reveal yourself. Father, set the world right. Father, give us what we need to be full. Father, keep us forgiven and forgiving. Father, keep us safe and shepherded. Jesus says, if, if you want to know how I commune with the Father, how I live off of communion with the Father, the, poor, the good portion that actually influences, shapes, and pours out of my life into the lives of others, that's how you pray. That's how you talk to Him. That's how you talk to God. There's no depersonalization. God's not an idea, not a force, not a doctrine. He's a Father. He's a Father who, who's we, whose life that we're after, who gives us life. But listen, Jesus is talking to those who grew up praying the Shema. <laughs> praying, learning to pray, this repetition routine over and over and over again. He also is in the midst of a people in a place who are somewhat superstitious. Who um, obviously are thrilled by the, um, the, by the authority and power of, of spiritual miraculous things, right? Sound familiar like any of our world? Religious routine, enthralled with the, the supernatural. Like, this is the context that he's in. So he knows what's going to happen. They're going to take these words and they're going to start praying them like the Shema. Every morning, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to pray these things, I'm going to pray them into existence. I'm going to pray them into being. If I pray these things, then I'm going to get it right. I'm going to be right, right? Like, that's just our human tendency, right? And Jesus knows that. And so he doesn't just give them words to pray. He gives them a parable about the heart of prayer. So Jesus, again, could have stopped, but as always, he wants us to get to the heart of our tendency to generalize. And so he gives this parable in verse five. I'm going to read, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read five through seven for us. Um, and then I, I'm going to kind of give us a little bit different kind of translation of it, if you will. Five through seven in the ESV says this, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for another friend of mine, a friend of ours, like the, the term is actually like a communal friend. A friend of ours has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. I don't have what I need. I need, I need three loaves. I need bread. I need the basic starter to be able to give them what they need for their own provision, Right? And he, which and so you come, you have this friend who comes, and then it's like, will this friend answer you? The sleeper, the guy sleeping, whose door's getting getting knocked on. Actually, it's I'll take that back. There's actually no knocking, right? We haven't heard any knocking yet. Just pointing that out. There's no knocking. This is important, like because I we tend to read into the story that he knocked, right? But he doesn't knock. There's no knocking. He just comes and shouts. Their homes are a little bit different, smaller, one room all that kind of stuff, a little easier to get people's attention and a little less frightening to hear your friend speak your name than to, like a stranger in the middle of the night to come knocking. Like it's, actually, it's actually less intrusive. So to, to shout, like, because you can, you're identified by your voice. So, so it's actually a little gentler than maybe than we would think it would be. But he doesn't knock, he's, he's saying this. And whose friend who's sleeping is a friend who's sleeping will say to, the, say to you, don't bother me. Listen, the door's shut. Again, really simple door. 
little rock behind it, slide the rock away, the door opens, you know, not, not, not super complicated. There's no alarm system to turn on and off or whatever, set off in the middle of the night or in the early morning like I did this week in my house. There's none of that. Oh, but listen, the door's, the door's shut. I can't get up and open it. Oh, listen, my children are with me because they're at the one-room house. Like, the children are legitimately there. But children go back to sleep. It's not that inconvenient for them. There's animals, like, usually in the house, too. So it's not like the animals are super quiet. Like, it's not like this is, like, a pristine, quiet place, right? Or, or he says, you know, my children are, are, are um, um, door shut. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. So, so listen, like we, we read this and we think, okay, Jesus is telling this parable. And I don't know about you, but you tend to think, okay, so is prayer like this? But in the actual, in the original language, this is how it would have sounded to the original hearers. They would have heard Jesus say, can you imagine having a guest and going to a neighbor to borrow bread and the neighbor offers ridiculous excuses about a locked door and sleeping children? Can you imagine that? I mean, really, can you imagine that? And everyone would have said, absolutely not. That is not how life works. That is not how community works. That is not what life in the village is actually like. They would have heard Jesus' statement as sarcastic. They would have heard it as this question that would have assumed a negative response. This is not a parable of praying is like this. This is a parable that praying is something other than this. Something different than this. Something more than this. The way we talk to God is something more than this. It's not like this, right? So we got to keep that in mind as we, as, we, as we hear it, right? Again, there's a sarcastic tone. Prayer is something more than other than this. But here's where we get mixed up, and verse 8 is where we really get mixed up. Verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up. So who's he? The sleeper, right? The sleeper. The sleeper will not get up and give him anything. Who's him? This is where the pronouns get really confusing. The sleeper won't give up and give him, his friend, who's asking, right? Anything. Because he is a friend. He won't give up, he won't get up just for the reason of friendship because he knows him. Like, again, this is ridiculous. This wouldn't happen. Like, there's no way he would offer an excuse. Anything like that. Like, he's not gonna get up because he's a friend. He's going to get up because of his impotence. His impotence is not the one who's asking. It's the one who's sleeping. The one who's sleeping is impotent. In, in the actual Greek, it would have been, he will avoid shame. It's actually a positive quality. It's he wants to avoid the shame of doing something ridiculous, not getting up and contributing to the need of one who has need. That's ridiculous. Nobody does that. And if he's not motivated by friendship, he'll minimum be motivated by his character. If he's not motivated by friendship, he'll be motivated by his character. Remember, this is not like prayer. <laughs> right? And so because of it, in sense, he will rise up and he won't just rise up and give you the three loaves of bread, the very basic. He'll give you whatever you need. That's what would really happen. Because his, he, there is an internal characteristic of this person, of the people in your community, that they respond to the need. A friend who's asking about a friend. And it's not just because of friendship, it's because of character, which is much deeper, right? And so, 
a better paraphrase of this would be something that would hit our ears and maybe kind of explain a little longer would be like this. And I get this, I kind of adapted it from Kenneth Bailey. But it says, this parable to the original listeners or readers would have sounded more like this. When you go to this kind of neighbor, everything is against you. It's nighttime, he's asleep in bed, the door is locked, his children are asleep. He doesn't like you. Like they're listening, like he, he's not your friend. Right? Jesus is saying, again, this is a parable, not how prayer is. Right? He's given us a contrast. It's more than this. Like you go to a person who's not even your friend. Yet he will receive, you'll receive even more than you ask from him. If you go to a neighbor who's not your friend in the middle of the night, you're going to receive more than you ask for. That's the way it worked. Everyone would have said, yeah, that's exactly how it works. That's exactly how their community works. Now, again, that's not like our community necessarily. If my neighbors came over in the middle of the night, like they might not get a response or they might get a response that they don't like as well. But like, but in, the, in this communal setting, this is the way it would have worked. And here's what it says. This is because your neighbor is a man of integrity and he will not violate that quality. He avoids shame. It's not his friendship, it's his avoidance of shame. It's his justness. The God to whom you pray also has an integrity that he will not violate. And beyond this, he loves you. And as Jesus does later, calls you friend. If you are confident in having your needs met when you go to such a neighbor, this is the point of the parable. If you are confident in having your needs met by going to such a neighbor, whether a Samaritan or a lawyer, how much more can you get assured, rest assured when you come to commune with a loving father and friend? How much more? If you know you'll get your needs met by going in the middle of the night to a guy who doesn't like you and getting what you need for a friend, to be and do what you need to do to be responsible to host another person who's come in, getting all that you need. If you expect that from a guy who's not your friend, how much more from a God who loves you, who is your friend? Don't pray this prayer trying to be, to get him. Because listen, most of us have probably heard this parable with like, it's about persistence, right? Like if we just persist in asking, we can be like the, the friend who's on the outside who finally gets the friend to wake up, right? That's not what he's saying. He's like, do not pray this prayer over and over again as a shout, trying to get God to wake up and give you what you're after. Like he's a good father who loves you. Go to him as one you expect to open the door. Who you expect to respond to your voice with abundance and kindness. Because we know his character is just. And even more so, we know he loves us. We know his character is just. Even more so, we know he loves us. This is the way we approach God. This is the way we're to speak to God. This is the way we're to pray the model prayer. Not as an incantation, not in some sort of, if I say it enough and enough and enough and enough and enough and enough, God will eventually respond to me. No, no, we say this, we speak to our Father as if our Father actually wants to hear and is willing and delighted to hear. And so just to help it sink in a little bit more, Jesus gives them a poem. And I don't have time to go into why this is a poem, in the original language, but it's a poem. But it's a poem, 
And so he says it in a way that helps them be just as repetitively rememberable as the prayer itself, right? So poems, that's a part of the way poems work. They kind of sink down into us. Part of their rhythm and rhyme is that they're easier to memorize. So same thing as like the prayer. He wants us to, to recognize the heart of the one to whom we pray, not just the words that we use to talk to him. And so he gives this poem. He says, here's what I'm saying. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone, not just the friend, not just the insider. Everyone, every single one, everyone, everyone. Your neighbor who has nothing to do with Jesus, if they ask, they receive. Your family member who's given up on a life of faith, if they ask, they receive. You who in the middle of doubt and frustration and have all kinds of issues with God, if you ask, you receive. Everyone who asks, receives. No groups. No generalization. No certain categories. Everyone. Everyone. In the original language, it would have said, not just everyone who asks receives, but everyone who seeks finds. The one, the idea there in the, in the again, original language, there's a tone, there's a movement. So ask and receive, seek and find, knock and door be open. Everyone asks and re- who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, it will be opened. And so here's, here's the image, right? So the, the, friend, the, the friend who comes to the father, the one who prays the Lord's prayer, in some ways like an insider because the, the father knows him, right? He's a friend. The friend comes to a friend. The friends recognize each other. There's a relationship. And so we can ask. And so like, hey, we've got a relationship with God. We can ask and we'll receive. But even if we don't have a relationship with God, even if we just want to have a relationship with God, or just maybe feel like we need a relationship with God, if we seek, we find my, one of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 13. Seek me when you shall find me and we search after me with all your heart. I'm not hidden. I'm not hiding. If you want me, you'll find me. Just think about that for your neighbors, for your friends, for yourself. If you want me, you'll find me. Just seek and you'll find. I'm not hiding. I'm not gonna hide. I'm not trying to hide from you. And listen, If you're so nervous, if you're unsure if God wants a relationship, knock. Be the stranger. Because only the stranger knocks. The one who's known doesn't. But even if you're a stranger, feel like a complete outsider, knock and the door will be open. Just knock. That's it. Knock. And I'll let you in. Into relationship. And in case we didn't get it, he says, don't bargain with God, be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse game, a hide and seek game you're in. And then he gives, in this poem, he kind of takes us back to where we began. What father among you, if one has his little ones asked for bread, would hand over a stone? Now, if you're reading like from the ESV, most likely it doesn't have that, that, um, that first one in it, but in most early transcripts, it's there. And it was taken out because it's like, well, it just seems redundant. But it's there, again, for poetic effect and connecting into the rest of the story because this is the third time he's mentioned bread. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. I asked for three loaves of bread. 
Now, what father would give a son stone who asked for bread? Bread, 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 bread. It's a connection, like it keeps this thing in connection. What father who their son asked for the very basics they need for the fullness of life would give them something dead and useless? Something they can't, that has no sustenance. What father would do that? No father would do that, right? What father, if your little boy asked for serving a fish, would scare him with a snake on his plate? Remember again in, in chapter, uh, chapter 10, uh, what Jesus said um, uh, is true of us who, who walk with him. Uh, what we get to do, we get to step on snakes and scorpions. Like, listen, God's not gonna trick you. Like, if you really ask for him, seek of him, knock and, and go to him in communion and prayer, he's not gonna give you, he's not gonna trick you with something that is evil demonic, the very things that you've been told you can crush. That's not how he's going to respond. That's not who he is. Nor will he trick his little daughter by giving her a scorpion. Again, Luke is connecting the stories back into what's the source of our life. It's the one whose life we're in. If our rejoicing isn't in power, but in being known, True life, the way to live life in its fullest, is because we get to be in communion with the one who knows us. Because listen to what he says at the very end, in verse 13. If you then who are evil, (laughs) if you who are not such great people all the time, as bad as you are, as bad as you are. I mean, again, the disciples are in a humble place. They recognize their own brokenness, and we do too but you're at least decent to your children. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, just like the parable before it, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit when you ask him? What does he give? Himself, the Holy Spirit. Communion, relationship. So when we pray, We pray to a God who's open to us, a father. Not trying to beg and plead for every little thing in hopes to change his mind and hopes to to get him to wake up and answer us, but assuming that he delights to do so. And we do so without fear. Whether we feel like we're insiders in the moment, whether we feel like we're just on a journey trying to discover, whether we feel like we're completely outsiders and strangers to this whole thing, We ask, we receive, we seek, we find, we knock, and the door is open. And so do our friends and neighbors. So, for the last couple minutes that we have together, let's pray. Let's pray in the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. To the one who Jesus teaches us to pray. So here's what we're going to do. For just two minutes, I'm going to let us sit in quiet, in silence. Hold on, before you throw that up to sit in quiet and silence. And we just want the parable and the poem to sink in. Let, let yourself kind of reflect on your communion with a friend and father who is for you, who gives, who reveals, who opens himself to you. That this is the place that you find yourself. In communion, in the good portion, in communion with the one who's your friend and father, who is for you who gives, who reveals, who opens himself to you. So before we pray the Lord's Prayer together,
and in groups. We, we need to enter into prayer with that mentality, right? So we'll do this, close your eyes, or look down at the floor if you don't want to close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And as you breathe in, breathe in the words, good, good Father. As you breathe out, breathe out the words, who loves me? Good, good Father, who loves me? Just keep doing that over and over again for the next minute and then we'll, we'll pray together. All right, so there's this thing about, about prayer that, um, that's true. That, um, again, the beauty of, of, of the tradition that Jesus grew up in, the tradition that is the tradition all the way back to the beginning, is that we learn to pray when we pray with others. Um, that, that is how we actually learn to pray. Um, this is the, the way we learn to talk. So what we're going to do, because I know not everybody is comfortable praying with other people, is we're gonna pray the Lord's Prayer together in groups. We're gonna get in groups, whether it's just your family or whether it's with, with other people, and we're just gonna take turns praying the Lord's Prayer, right? Listening to other people pray the prayer for us. Because the beauty of the Lord's Prayer, right, the way that Jesus teaches us to pray, it's never just me. Lord, give me my daily bread. Forgive us our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. It's, it is a communal act. Every time we pray it, we pray it in community, even if we pray it by ourselves. So we're going to just, just take turns in groups of three to four, praying that prayer. Now, here's what I'll encourage. I want to say this just because I think this is helpful. Um, the way this prayer has kept, I think, throughout 2,000 years, has kept its heart in the context of Jesus' parable and poem has is not that you just wake up every morning and pray this prayer in routine. But that this prayer becomes like a trunk of a tree. And each part of this prayer can be branched off into all kinds of different directions, right? This is a prayer that launches us into prayer, into communion with God. Right? That as we pray it over and over again, it leads us to pray, when we say us, to think of individual specific names. Those within our faith family, 
neighbors, friends. That, that when we let ourselves sit in the prayer, the Lord leads us into some of the, the, the blossoms and depth and twigs and branches of this prayer, right? So if you really want to like learn to pray in the sense of an extended time of prayer that's more than the 22 seconds that it takes to pray this prayer, which is about what it takes, it's using this prayer to be led into communion in conversation with God, right? It's not an incantation. It's not a repetition that if I do this, this thing will come true or this thing will be true or this keeps me in line. It's a beginning place of conversation. So learning how to enter into a conversation that's already been started, right? So I'll encourage you outside of this time to do it, use it like that. You don't have to. They're like, we're not, we're not setting up a route. Like this is what you have to do. But if you want to participate in how this prayer has been used in fruitfulness for thousands of years, that's how you use this prayer. Not as something simply to be memorized and routinely said. Not as an incantation, but as an entry into communion to a conversation already started with the one who delights to hear from you, a friend and father who asks, when you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, the door's open. So do this. Get in groups of three to four. And then this, the words will be on the screen. And again, even if you're uncomfortable praying like in, in public, all you gotta do is read the words. You don't have to pray anything more than this, all right? In fact, you don't need to pray anything more than this. But as you're listening to other people pray, let this prayer be your prayer. Does that make sense? So get into groups of three or four. We're gonna do that, and then we'll end our time together in worship and song, okay? Any questions? No? Been still for too long? All right. Pray. You can pray as families. You can pray with friends. However you want to do it.
you're finishing up, you're welcome to stand. We'll continue in prayer together. Our Father who in heaven reigns, how great and mighty is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now here on earth as is above. Give us today our daily bread And keep our hungry spirits fed May all our satisfaction be In you whose grace has set us free